0: Well, last week we uh, talked about the fault line of failure. How many of you guys remember uh, wincing at least once during the video that played of people getting hurt? Some of you closed your eyes. I'm so proud of you. The emails this week uh, didn't happen, praise the Lord, uh, of I can't believe you showed that stuff in church. Maybe those emails got blocked by the office. I don't know. Uh, But uh, I'm thankful that we uh, had a great discussion uh, last week and that the discussion has carried on uh, this week in some of our life groups uh, and and in some conversations that I've uh, been able to have. The the subject of the fault line of failure is is something we need to have a discussion about. And uh, last week, understanding Peter's failure as not just the end result, uh, is an important reminder for us that failure doesn't have to uh, end it all for us, Uh, that there is a restoration process, and that God loves using those he gives second chances to. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about the flip side of failure, and specifically success. Success is one of the fault lines of life. It's one of the, uh, the areas in our lives that we don't necessarily put into a same category as failure or as conflict or as death. But success really can be a, a starting point, a tipping point, a, a location in our life where we will never be the same, both good or bad. If failure is something that we wake up hoping to experience not right. If failure is something that we wake up hoping to avoid, if failure is something that we uh, experience in our life and never want to experience again, success on the flip side is something that we pursue. We fight for success. We work hard for success. We uh, strive to achieve success. We want to stay in it. And specifically, there are three areas of the, the word success that uh, we're likely to pursue or Or want to experience this idea of good fortune. The three areas are this. Possessions. The the, the things we have. The material. The finances. The wealth. Maybe power. We want to have power in our world. We like to experience having power over other things or other people. And popularity. Our culture understands these terms of success in a way that many other cultures have never experienced. Possessions, uh, they increase when we suddenly inherit maybe a, a chunk of money in our life, right? Uh, winnings or, or someone's inheritance is given to us and uh, we experience the success of possessions. Power uh, might increase in our life when we improve, improve our, our rank or receive a, a job promotion or we win in an election. Popularity also increases when we're recognized or discovered, right? Right? With today's YouTube generation, maybe a a, a fail video turns into uh, something that allows popularity to enhance, or uh, a bad singing video gets promoted on YouTube and suddenly we are thrust into something very popular. Sometimes in our lives, all three can increase at once and we experience success. And I don't think it's wrong that most of us desire or even pursue an increase in one or more of these areas. We want good things, right? God is a God who blesses, right? And we pursue success. But I believe we underestimate how precarious, how dangerous, how much of a fault line any level of success may be. I want to share with you an illustration, a true story. In December 23rd on December 23rd, 2002, Jack Whitaker was 55 years old and was the president of his own contracting firm. He stopped one night to buy a lottery ticket in West Virginia for the state's big lottery worth $315 million. That next day, when the winning numbers were revealed, Jack was disappointed to learn that he was one number off. No surprise, he said. I never win anything. A day later, on Christmas Eve, he heard that the number had been misreported. And when he checked his ticket again, true story, he found that he hit the jackpot. Suddenly, the guy who never won anything had everything, the whole jackpot, all to himself. Jack claimed the one-time cash option of $170 million. Can we just stop there for a moment? And after the government took its part, he went home with $113 million, very rich. From now on, he thought his own words, his own words, everything will be different. And he was right, for better or for worse. A religious man, Jack promptly tithed the first $11 million to Christian charities, and then set up the Jack Whitaker Foundation, which clothes and feeds low-income families in rural West Virginia. Next, he returned to the store where he bought the winning ticket and he gave the clerk a new house. He got her a brand new Dodge Ram and gave her $50,000 in cash. We did a similar blessing last Christmas. You remember? (laughs) We're not going to try that this afternoon. He bought himself a brand new Hummer. And he bought his granddaughter, Brandy, a new Corvette and promised her an allowance of $2,000 a week. I'm sending this message to my grandparents. And that's when the trouble began. Brandy adored her boyfriend, Jess. She used her allowance to buy him everything, and before long, the two of them were getting into drugs. One night, Jess ended up dead. Face down in one of the Whitaker's empty homes. An overdose of cocaine the coroner said. When Brandy heard it, she spiraled into depression, and a a year and three months later, Brandy, too, was discovered dead, wrapped in a plastic tarp, dumped behind an abandoned van in a place called Scary Creek. To cope with his sorrows, Jack began to drink while driving. And it didn't take long for the police to notice. One night, he rammed his vehicle into a concrete embankment, totaling his vehicle, and when the officer tried to give him the breathalyzer, Jack refused and was promptly arrested. And in court, he erupted, accusing them of trying to convict him of something he never did. One night, while he was getting drunk at a local club, thieves broke into his car and ran off with a suitcase carrying $545,000. When police asked him why he was carrying so much cash, he snapped, because I can. In just four years, Jack began to run run out of money, so he tried to make it back by gambling. A couple of months later, he was sued by Caesars Atlantic City for bouncing $1.5 million in checks to cover his losses. Jack is quoted as saying, I wish I'd have torn that ticket up. He told that to Martin Bashir in the 2020 special in 2007. He also said, I don't know where it will end, but I just know that I don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. And neither did his wife. A couple of months after the interview, the divorce was finalized after 42 years of marriage. Jack Whitaker. Now let's be honest. We hear the story of Jack Whitaker and instantly, maybe if you're like me, as I read the story of Jack Whitaker, I instantly kind of go to a place where I kind of, I don't, I don't play the lottery, so I don't put myself in this position, but I, I find myself figuring out some ideas of the ways I would do things differently than Jack Whitaker, right? I, that I wouldn't fall to the same pitfall, I wouldn't do the same thing, I know better, right? If, if someone in this church likes my peach-colored shirt today and offers me $315 million, I know what I would do. And we do the same thing, don't we? Uh, We hear the story of someone doing uh, the wrong thing, someone falling off the wrong side of the pitfall, someone experiencing the negative uh, ramifications of a fault line of life, and we think and we say to ourselves, oh, I I would do things differently. Maybe some of us even have the things planned out, right? We think we would do the right thing like Jack did. We'd give uh, at least 10% to our church and our favorite pastor in Peach, But we surely wouldn't fall into the same traps or pitfalls or dangers that brought Jack to a point of wishing he'd never won the money, right? We can't imagine getting to a place where we wish that kind of success in our culture standards would ever be a negative thing. And the stories abound, right? We know more than Jack Whitaker's story. We uh, highlight these things on 2020 specials. But the opposite's true. For every Jack Whitaker, there's a good guy, right? For every person who has fallen into the pitfall of doing the wrong thing with success, especially maybe uh, monetary success, we have stories of people who have done the right thing. I read a story this week of another lottery winner, uh, a man who had uh, reached the end of his road. He had been at the lowest point of his life, and a pastor counseled him in a positive way. And he had that pastor to thank and he played the lottery and won some millions of dollars and he split it with that pastor. If any of you wants to talk this afternoon. (laughs) He split his winnings with this pastor and he allowed this church, this ministry, to do incredible things because of his blessing to them. It's a great, beautiful story. If there are those who are made worse by financial good fortune... There are those on the opposite spectrum. The truth is, the difference is not in what people do with their money, but in uh, what the money does to them. In the area of power, we know that there are those who come into a power position suddenly. They uh, experience a a brand new opportunity. Maybe they invented something and suddenly they're in charge of multi-billion dollar Companies And they experience the power that comes with leadership. Maybe they experience brand new forms of respect. Other people fear them and fear their opinion and fear the weight of their words. They seek to please them. And over time, maybe this person in power in a negative way finds it easier to just make things happen, to just demand them instead of arguing that things will have to happen. They sometimes seek to push others away, those that are under them, get pushed to the side, and they take credit for the work of others. And also, we know examples of others who come into power and use it to promote or to encourage other people, to uh, bring other people up to a level next to them. They seek to use their power for good and live out the ethics of humility and being a servant. The difference, again, is not so much in what they do with their power, but in what their power has done to them in fame, in popularity. We all know stories of where the limelight has caused an absolute downfall. Someone has done something, someone has achieved something, and suddenly they have millions of adoring fans. Insert rock band name here. And we all know stories of how that fame and that fortune, that popularity has caused them to fall off, the wagon. Literally. But we also have positive stories in people like Tim Tebow or Kirk Cameron and others who use their popularity to influence other people, to help others, to benefit other people. The difference, once again, is in what their popularity does to them. Success as a fault line will either make or break us. But we're not successful, are we? We're, we're talking about other people, right? Hey, American. Unless you're living on less than a dollar a day, which none of us with clothes on are, we are successful. And while most of us experience success in whatever our standard is, according to our culture, the old-fashioned way, by working for it, by working hard, by uh, experiencing years of ups and downs and highs and lows and wins and losses, the the reality is that all of us will experience some measure of success. And knowing that while money and power and fame are not evil or bad in and of themselves, we have stories of wins and losses on this fault line of success, we must as Christians, we must as Christians learn to take a look at this fault line and prepare for whatever opportunity becomes ours next. We must be prepared with a a righteous outlook of experiencing whatever measure of success we may be in right now and whatever may be ours to come. To do so, I want to look at two reminders, two real quick uh, statements that I just want you to write in your brains, write in your Bible, write on your notes in your bulletin. Have these for yourself as a Christian as we are challenged to understand and live out righteous success. The first is this. Success is fragile. Success is fragile. Success, uh, wealth, power, fame, none of these things are promised to us. Even as believers, we have stories in Scripture of those who have been blessed and those who have loathed the day they were born. Uh, We're not promised fame and wealth. That goes against some popular teaching on TV today, right? But it's not promised to us that we are going to succeed at everything. If it was, would we even try There are no guarantees in life. The get-rich-quick schemes that we get uh, inundated by our email or at late-night television are not foolproof. The truth is success is a fragile truth. It is not promised to us. All of us have not experienced the same level of success. If we had, we would all take the class immediately following this message to achieve those steps to success. Paul writes to a young pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at these verses with me. Paul is writing to Timothy, encouraging him to set the record straight within his local congregation. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope In God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't we all know those those people put them all over here. Let's take ourselves out of the equation. Let's point fingers. How dangerous. I'm the assistant pastor. We can do this. Uh, Let's point fingers in our mind's eye of uh, those people that we know that have invested themselves fully into something that, yes, had a calculated risk, but they lost it all. Uh, They put it all on the number four black. And spun that wheel. I don't know what that's referencing. I have no idea. And they've experienced putting it all on the line and they've lost it all. We all know people who uh, manage their money in such a way or their resources in such a way that in this moment of life, they have lots. But the very next day, we could talk to them and they are without a dollar to their name. They have a lot this week and the next week, they've squandered it all. We understand that the stock market may drop like a rock. We experience that in our lifetime. We understand that the value of our dollar may plunge to an all-time low. A perceived stockpile, a nest egg of wealth, can quickly be depleted by illness. Likewise, power and fame can be stripped away by missing a game-winning field goal, by losing an election, or experiencing an embarrassing moral failure in the public eye. Those who put their hope in the things of this world, what the world holds as valuable, are putting hope in something that Paul acknowledges is uncertain. When we base our lives on the kingdom mindset, the earthly kingdom mindset of what is valuable and worthwhile, we lose out. Paul's challenge, his charge here to Timothy it's to change that kind of investment thinking within his congregation, within those who would be considered rich in this present world. It's easy to point fingers at those we would put in the category of rich in this present world. I want to remind us that there are far more people in this world Place us in that same category. The danger we have in putting our hope, our our trust, our, our everything into the things of this world instead of God, we know the dangers. Those things aren't solid foundations, they're shifty sand. Those things are temporary, they don't last forever. Something has and will again break. We understand that we don't take power, wealth, or popularity into eternity. We've heard it sung or said that there's no U Hauls that we carry behind our hearses, right? There's no storage lockers in heaven. There's no place for us to put our acquired possessions on hold while we experience eternity. Remember Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. We know this story. Listen as I read it. Jesus told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He came into winnings, right? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build even bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. toward God. Can you, can you see the farmer winning the lottery here? Can you see him feeling successful and thinking, what, what shall I do with my winnings, with my extra grain? The, uh, the bumper crop of a lifetime has happened, and I must do something. And so he says to himself that he has plenty of good things for the future of himself, that he should sit back, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. However, Jesus uses this story to remind us That we're not promised tomorrow that success is fragile. That we don't take our earnings with us to heaven. And so Jesus uses the words of God to ask, Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Again, we each probably know of someone that has made wealth, power, or fame their source of value without considering the reality that they're dying. Right? Right? Since the moment we're born, we're dying. The milk in the refrigerator has an expiration date. We understand uh, the bread will eventually mold and have to be thrown away, but sometimes in our culture we don't think about it. We think we are invincible and that our focus should be on the here and now and on how I can amass as much uh, experience and success and wealth. Maybe we're willing to tip that over to our, our generation that is next in our family Or our friends. But we all know people who invest in the here and now for a purpose of building themselves up. We're all expiring. We must take into reality that whatever earthly success we net here, it is for a temporary dwelling place. This world is not our home. Praise be to God. The second reminder that we're to acknowledge in this area of success, if success is fragile, if we're not promised or guaranteed, if we understand that it's not a guarantee, it's not going to happen for everyone, even the big experiences of life that we point out in other people, we understand it's not... Something that's going to happen in every life in the same level that it happens in another. What are we supposed to do if and when it does happen? What are we supposed to do even if it happens in a little level in the here and now? Are we supposed to run away from it? Are we supposed to uh, seek to hide from it? Here's your second phrase. Stewardship is essential. You heard the word stewardship and you grabbed your wallet, right? Making sure that my kids weren't walking around sliding them out of your pockets. Stewardship is essential. Whether we have a lot or a little, everything we have. Here's the truth of stewardship. Everything we have is God's. But I worked hard for it, right? Right? But I earned it, right? But I won it. I don't even know how much a lottery ticket costs, but I spent the $2 to win this. It's mine. I can do with it what I want. We may be tempted to believe that 10% of what we make in a week belongs to God and the other 90% is for us to do with what we want. You ever heard that attitude from someone else? Stop pointing fingers. Shame on you. But it's simply not true. 100% of what we have is God's. We are merely Christian brothers and sisters. We are merely stewards of His resources. Our houses, our income, our cars, our families, our money, even our lives, all belong to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us that we're not our own, that we were bought with a price. Maybe that's the reminder you need this morning to realize that what you have is not really yours. We've been paid for. We've been bought. We are servants of the Most High God. Similarly, all that we own, all that we are, it's not ours. It is God's. And He has entrusted us to steward it righteously. Uh, we do good at Thanksgiving in and, and, and our family, right? Our, our family. I can use our family as an example and get in trouble for it later, but I can use our family. Around Thanksgiving, we get pretty excited about giving thanks, right? And we talk about the things that we're thankful for around the, the Thanksgiving table, and then it carries over maybe for weeks. We're pretty thankful people, We know that we should be thankful for things when it comes to seasons in our life. And yet, don't we grumble about the way we wish we had some things? We should be living such thanksgiving lives that helps us to acknowledge all that we have is such a blessing. We must learn not to grip tightly to the possessions and the power and the prosperity that we experience in this life, but we must we must learn to live with open hands. It says, what I have is not my own. It is God's. And we must ask God to give us the wisdom he deems necessary for us to live according to his glory. Faithful stewardship is God's requirement of the Christian life. We know the parable of the talents. Uh, We read about it in Matthew Matthew chapter 25 or or Luke 19. The, The stories coincide. They're very beautiful. We know this story. Allow me to break down the story of the parable of the talents. It tells a story about a master preparing for a journey. He's about to go away and make himself king, Scripture says. And so he calls in his three servants. And he gives them according to what they are able. So the first servant... He gives the equivalent of $5,000, wages for about 15 years. In other words, he hit the lottery, the jackpot. Five years or 15 years worth of wages this servant receives in a lump sum from his master. The second servant is handed $2,000 or seven years wages. The third servant was handed the equivalent of $1,000 or about three years worth of his wages. And these wages were given to each of the servants, and the master then leaves. The parable continues that upon his return, he calls in the servants again. We find the story of the first two servants putting to work what they had been given. They invested in what mattered to the master. They were good stewards, stewards of his investment. The success they received from the master, they reinvested in what the master was about. And his response to them Well done, good, faithful servants. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. We know the story. And then we have the third servant. The third servant, as the parable goes, had a different understanding. His success in receiving three years' wages in a lump sum was quickly stifled. He feared the master's response, so he went out and hid his earnings in the ground. And upon returning, the master's response to this lack of faithful stewardship servant, Matthew 25, verse 30, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All three of these servants experienced the fault line of success, Can you see it that way? They received something that they didn't deserve, they didn't earn, they were servants of this master and he gave them something far more valuable than their work. Two of them got better from this fault line. One of them got worse, but none of them stayed the same. Success is fragile. It is not guaranteed. It is not promised. It is not something that we will take into eternity. Stewardship is essential. Whatever, much or little, we've been blessed with is a gift from God. Our responsibility is to be faithful stewards of what He has entrusted us with. Where are you successful today? Where are you rich in talent, in possession, in power? Where is it that God has entrusted you, steward of his resources? Where is it that he has placed you in this moment in time? On October 18th, 2015, where has God put you? Steward, And is He finding you faithful? Is He finding you working to put His investment, His resources to work for Him? Where might you be successful in the future? What possibilities are in front of you? What's the corporate ladder look like in your neck of the woods? What are the opportunities that maybe you don't even know about, but that are possibilities that God may entrust you with? Where are you now? And where might you be? Our prayer. Our prayer in the now and in the possibility of the future is that God would find us as faithful stewards. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Success is fragile. Stewardship is essential. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, in this room, comparatively to the world's population, there is a lot of success in this place. Sure, Lord, we look around us and we can instantly find someone more successful in the world's eye than we are. But on the world's scale, we are far and above more successful than the world's standard. Thank you. Thank you for choosing to bless us. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being raised in a wonderful country, of a successful country. Yes, a country with its issues and its needs and its brokenness. But we are living successful lives. And Lord, right now, Even in some of our lives, we are experiencing success in ways that maybe others don't even know. And we praise you, the God of all things, for how you have entrusted us with your resources. And we pray that as we experience whatever level of success in this moment and in the moments to come, that you, Lord God Almighty, would put within us a heart of righteous stewardship and that we would live in such a way that brings you the most glory. That we too may hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord Jesus, for those experiencing your Holy Spirit's conviction. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be loud and clear in our hearts. And that we would not be able to simply stifle that voice. But that Lord, you in your great wisdom would pinpoint some areas in our hearts where we have been gripping tightly to ours. And that we would righteously acknowledge that it is not ours, but it is yours. Find us As faithful stewards, we pray. Give us your grace today and each day. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's faithful stewards said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for choosing to be here this morning. Go in the knowledge of our grace-giving Heavenly Father.